the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus said those who worship God must worship God who is spirit. God is spirit. He is the invisible God, and he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No one worships the true God if they reject the deity of Christ, that they reject him. In other words, the one whom we worship is the God of Scripture, the one who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ. To worship any other God is idolatry. Many people would be horrified if you told them that they were committing idolatry every time they go to church. We think idolatry is something they did in ancient times or in some pagan tribe somewhere. But having a false image of God, a distorted view of who God is, that's the same as substituting an idol in the place of the one true God. We think that the act of worshiping, as long as the form conforms to Christianity, is good enough. God is looking for us to believe the right things about him with a right heart. That's what worship is all about. I know you are appreciating this verse-by-verse series on worship. We really do need to get back to the heart of worship. We're glad you're listening with us today on Verse by Verse. Remember that these messages are available for download. You can also request the entire series. Now, here's Pastor Steve. For the last few weeks, we have been studying the subject of worshiping God, and our approach has been basically this, is to ask a question about worship and then answer it from the Bible. In week number one, we asked this question, what does it mean to worship God? What is the basic meaning of worshiping God? And the biblical answer is that worshiping God means to recognize who God is, this glorious, majestic, splendid, awesome God, merciful, loving, kind, And in response to all that we know about him, we give him ourselves. We present ourselves, as Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, we present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. And Paul said that is your acceptable, reasonable, logical service of worship. The basic words in the Old and New Testament for worship means to bow down, to kiss towards. It it certainly speaks of a response and reverence to all that that God is. So we, we give him ourselves, we affirm that we belong to him, but we also give him our adoration, our praise, our reverence, our honor, our obedience, our possessions. Everything we are and everything we have, we give to him. An attitude of worship. That's what it basically means to worship God. The second question we asked, the, uh, in fact, the first time we dealt with this subject is this. Why is it important to worship God? And the reason that question is important is because if you don't know that it is important, you'll not be motivated to do it. And the answer is, why is it important to worship God? The biblical answer is that God and God alone is worthy of our worship. He's, uh, he alone is worthy of our worship, even though he doesn't need our worship, because he's totally sufficient. 
It pleases him when we worship him. He desires our worship. He wants us to worship him, and that should be sufficient for you. You don't need anything else. And this is one opportunity we have in which we give to God without expecting anything in return. We're not getting from him. We are giving to him simply because of who he is, and this is pleasing to him. In fact, Paul told the Philippians that their worship of God was, he said it was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. In human terms, what that means, and Paul is using human language here, it means that our worship smells good to God. It is a fragrance that, that is sweet-smelling to his nostrils. Now, last week, we asked a third question about worship, and it was this. How can we know if our worship is acceptable to God? How can we know that? Because just to say let's worship God doesn't mean that he's going to accept it. How do we know if our worship is acceptable to God? Because we know that not all worship is acceptable. How do we know that? For example, in the Old Testament, we know that uh, God rejected, right at the beginning of human history, rejected the worship of Cain. He accepted Abel's worship because Abel came with the right attitude. He came uh, with the prescribed uh, sacrifice of an animal, but Cain did not. Cain came with a bad attitude, a disobedient attitude, and Cain brought the labor of his hands, an agricultural uh, gift of, of worship, and God said, no, you've disobeyed me. That's not what I wanted. And so he rejected Cain's worship. We also know in the Old Testament that there were many Jewish kings in ancient Israel who, who were condemned because they corrupted the worship of Jehovah by leading Israel astray into building false uh, idols and pagan idols to worship false deities. In fact, we're told in First uh, Kings, another story of, of God rejecting worship. In First Kings chapter 18, do you remember the story of Elijah the prophet who confronted the false prophets, about 400 false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? And the Bible says, and I paraphrase, that, that they were, uh, the false prophets were screaming and ranting and raving all day, calling out for Baal to, to bring fire down from heaven. They were cutting themselves. They were going through all of the motions. And the Bible says that Elijah, who must have had somewhat of a sense of humor, mocked them. I, I really imagine, I don't know if this took place exactly like this, but I imagine Elijah just leaning against a, a tree with a toothpick in his mouth watching this stuff, and he says something like this. He said, hey, why don't you call louder? Because, uh, you know, if maybe your God is away on a journey. Maybe he's sleeping. You know, if you're, if you're going to get a God uh, to help you, you got to scream a little He's just mocking them because that was pagan worship, unacceptable worship. We're also told in Romans chapter 1 that ancient man, as a civilization, turned away from the light of God's revelation. They rejected the truth of God in, in nature, creation, and they began to worship the creature rather than the creator. When they turned away from God's light, they turned to darkness, and they became philosophical worshipers rather than genuine worshipers of the true God. We're also told, and we looked at this last week in the New Testament, that Jesus had an encounter with a Samaritan woman. Uh, Samaritans were people who had a uh, kind of mixture of, of pagan worship with Jewish worship, and it came out pagan. And Jesus told her that her worship and her people's worship 
were unacceptable to God, but he didn't leave it there. He told them what is acceptable to God. And we went over this last week in which Jesus laid out for us three essential elements in worship. First, he said concerning the best place to worship God, she asked him where they should worship. Was it best to worship as the Samaritans do? And I might add they still do. There's still a group of Samaritans in Israel who worship on Mount Gerizim. Or was it right for the Jewish people to worship in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, I'm telling you that the place is unimportant. It doesn't matter because there's coming a time in which you will be, God's people will be the temple of God. The physical temple will be destroyed when, when uh, after I die for your sins and am risen again, those who trust me, they will be the temple of God. And so worship is to take place wherever you are. It's to be an ongoing activity. It's to take place anywhere, anytime, in any situation. And that's exactly what we ought to be working on. And I hope you're cultivating a heart of of ongoing, spontaneous worship for Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait to come to church. You don't have to wait to go to a special place or feel a a certain kind of emotional uh, buzz and worship. Worship is anywhere where you are because if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are the temple of God. Secondly, Jesus told this woman how she, and by way of application, how all of us should worship him. The place is unimportant, but he did say that there needs to be a proper balance between worshiping God in spirit and in truth. What is spirit? Spirit means our hearts. It means our, our uh, inward attitudes. It means that we are to put some feeling into our worship, some zeal, some passion. And truth means that we worship in response to the truth of God's word. We need both of these elements to to have balanced worship because if all we have is heart without truth, then our worship, quite frankly, tends to become very feeling-oriented, very shallow, superficial, emotional, and... uh, God doesn't want us to do that. That's not, that's not true worship. Secondly, if, if all we have is, um, is truth without, without heart, then we tend to have our worship become lifeless and barren and cold orthodoxy, and uh, it, it just becomes an empty motion that we go through. And so both spirit and truth are needed to achieve the proper balance. The third element that Jesus told this, uh, this woman by way of, of, of uh, uh, implication is that we must worship the right God. We don't worship just a generic God, just a vague cosmic thought of, of what we come up with about God. Jesus said those who worship God must worship God who is spirit. God is spirit. He is the invisible God, and he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No one worships the true God if they reject the deity of Christ, that they reject him. In other words, the one whom we worship is the God of Scripture, the one who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ. To worship any other God is idolatry. Idolatry. Now, up to this point in our study of worshiping God, the emphasis has been on personal, individual worship, your worship, my worship. But you should understand that worship is more than that. Worship goes beyond that. It, yes, it is, it is private, and every day you ought to be affirming that uh, every part of you belongs to God. You ought to be laying your life on the altar, reaffirming that your devotional time should, should be your worship times. However, this morning, we want to take it a step further and look at another issue that's related to worship, and that is the issue of corporate worship. By corporate worship, I mean that when the church gathers together, On Sundays, on the Lord's Day, how should we worship God together? 
We know what we ought to do privately, but how should we worship him publicly? See, the Bible teaches both. The Bible teaches private worship. It also teaches public worship. In fact, uh, it's so beautifully uh, presented to us in Psalm 34. Let me read this to you. Psalm 34, verses 1 and 2. This speaks of private worship. David said, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. That's, that's personal. That's private. David is saying, I will personally rejoice in the Lord. I'll bless him. I'll praise him. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's the way I live, David said. But in verse 3, He moved now to public, corporate worship. He said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He said, I'm worshiping him in a private, precious way, but I invite you to join me. Let us exalt his name together. So a valid question, and this is our fourth question in this series, is this. When the church gathers together on the Lord's day, what should our worship service be like? What should it be like? How are we supposed to collectively worship the Lord? In other words, we really want to know what does the New Testament teach concerning church worship services? And that's a very valid question today to ask because there are many different styles of worship services. You have contemporary, you have traditional, you have informal, you have formal, you have the seeker-sensitive approach. What should we do? We really need the guidance of the New Testament, even more so than the Old Testament, because we're talking about a local church worship service. We, we can supplement what we discover from the New Testament with the Old Testament, but we want to know, does the New Testament address what we should do and how we should worship God together? Now, our concern is not so much style and form, although every church does have style and form, and you can't get away from that. But our primary concern is to discover New Testament biblical truths. And then we want to let those principles guide us as to our format. In other words, we'll fit our style and format in conformity to the principles of the New Testament. And so this morning, we're going to discover three New Testament truths to to guide us in worshiping the Lord together. If you're taking notes, this is uh, where we begin with our outline. The first truth to guide us in our corporate worship is this. A church worship service involves, number one, prepared hearts. Prepared hearts. Worshiping the Lord is not something that you just jump into. It's not something that you just come here on Sunday, you turn it on. When you leave, you turn it off. That's not what the New Testament teaches. Preparation is necessary. And what God wants us to prepare is our hearts, that that inward person with all the right attitudes necessary to, to worship him effectively. And I'd like you to turn to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament towards the end of your Bibles, the book of, of Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer, we don't know who the writer was, but we know this is an inspired book, and we know it was written to Hebrews. It was written to Jewish people, and thus the name Hebrews. But in this, in this chapter, the writer tells us how to worship God with a heart that's been properly prepared to worship him. And I want to uh, have you look at verse 22. He says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, what what does that mean? Let's break it down. First, he tells us to draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. 
I believe that this was an invitation for salvation to those original Jewish readers who had not as yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that Hebrews was written to a a mixed group of people. Um, Most were believers, Jewish believers, but some had not yet come that far. They were still involved in the old covenant, and the message of Hebrews is come a little further. You, you, you have the foundation, you have the ABCs, press on, press on to spiritual maturity, graduate to an understanding, a full understanding of the Messiah. He's been revealed in Jesus Christ. Everything you had in Judaism, Jesus is superior to. That's the message of Hebrews. So I think this is an invitation for salvation to those Jewish readers who had not yet come to faith. And what he's calling them to do is have a sincere and genuine, that's what sincere means here, a genuine heart commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, only those, those people, uh, I should put it this way, only the ones who are invited into God's presence are those who have been forgiven, those who have sincerely come to faith in Christ. It's an invitation, in other words, for those who are saved. For believers, those who have been forgiven of their sins and therefore they are internally cleansed by Christ. That's why the writer goes on to say, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That's to say that the only ones who can come into God's presence to worship him are those who recognize that they are evil in heart, that their conscience is evil, it's been violated, it's, uh, they're unworthy, evil sinners who deserve judgment. But those who come to Christ recognizing that and trusting him for the forgiveness of sins because he died for all those sins, they're the ones who have had their hearts cleansed and purified by him. In other words, what he's saying is only Genuine believers in Christ are invited to worship the Lord. That, that's what he's saying. So the first way we prepare our hearts to worship him is to make sure that we're believers. Make sure that you have genuinely repented of your sin and trusted the Savior to forgive you of your sins. However, there are many people who are born-again Christians who really are not prepared to worship the Lord. And we know that. You know that. I know that. Why? Because their lives are not pure They have been contaminated by sin that that they have not yet repented of, and they are not fit to worship God who is pure holiness. That's why, notice the end of verse 22, the writer says, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now he's talking about an, an imagery of an Old Testament priest who continually washed himself, ceremonial cleansings, washed himself as he came to worship the Lord. That's the imagery here. But what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us, we're not Old Testament priests and we don't have to have ceremonial washings, but God is calling us as we draw near to him to make sure as believers in Christ we are living a clean life by confessing our sins to the Lord, that he cleanses us internally for fellowship as we confess our sins. That's what 1 John 1.9 means when, when John says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how we have continual cleansing. We confess our sins, which means to agree with God that it's wrong and I repent of it. It isn't just say, yes, Lord. It isn't just saying, yes, Lord, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to continue. It's an attitude of repentance. That's how we prepare our hearts to worship him. Confess our sins as they occur. We don't wait till we go to sleep at night and say, Lord, if I've sinned today, 
I confess this. We, you'll forget your sins. We confess it the moment we're aware of it. And he purifies us so that we can maintain our fellowship with him. You see, worship demands purity, demands godliness. Psalm 24 affirms this where David says in verses 3 and 4, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? It is who, who can worship God? David says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, he has not sworn deceitfully. God will not receive your worship, no matter how much Bible you know, no matter how emotional you are, no matter how much feeling and zeal and passion you put into it, he will not receive your worship if you are holding on to some sin. Perhaps an unforgiving spirit that you refuse to forgive somebody. You know you should, but you're not. You're going you're gonna to fester bitterness. Or maybe it's an attitude of rebellion towards someone in authority over you, someone who you work with, someone uh, even a church can have that. A problem with the elders, a problem with past, pastoral staff. Could be at school, but some authority. Could be in the home. A wife having a problem submitting to her husband, children having a problem submitting to their, their parents, their teachers perhaps. It could be animosity towards someone. You just don't like someone to the point of, of you really have an attitude. Or maybe you're involved in an unethical business endeavor. Or you're involved in sexual immorality. If those things and others are in your life, if you worship God in that state, really, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your energy. Because God is not even listening to you. How do we know that? I'd like you to look at Psalm 66. Verse 18, I want us to look at this, and I want to clarify, because inevitably people get scared when they look at this verse, and they they get somewhat intimidated by it, but I want to clarify it. The psalmist said, Psalm 66, verse 18, if I regard iniquity or wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear, meaning the Lord will not hear me. There are some people who look at this and get very discouraged because they say, well, look, I've got sin in my heart. How, how then can, I can never pray again. I can never worship again. But that's not what this statement means. To regard iniquity or wickedness in your heart is, folks, to cherish it, not to have it there. We all have it there. It's to cherish it and to refuse to repent of it. You're aware of something, and even though you know it's wrong, you're holding on to it. That's what it means to regard iniquity in your heart. There's a difference between struggling with sin and cherishing your sin. For example, let me illustrate it this way. You may struggle with forgiving somebody. All of us do. You may genuinely desire to forgive someone, and in your heart you've said many times, I forgive that person, I forgive him, I forgive her, and yet you continue to struggle with that. In fact, every time you see that that person, your stomach does a little turn, and uh, you cry out to God, you hate your sin, you cry out for victory and for God to help you forgive this person, and yet you keep struggling. I want you to know that is not cherishing or regarding sin in your heart. That's warring against it. God hears a person who wars against it. So don't be discouraged by Psalm 66, 18, unless you have cherished sin in your heart and you refuse to repent of it. Then you need to repent of it or else God will not receive your worship. He's not even listening to you. So before we gather to worship the Lord, before you gather with others on Sunday to worship the Lord, you need to make sure your heart is prepared to worship. And you do that by making sure that there is no sin in your life that you're cherishing, that you're holding on to. 
You confess it, you're cleansed, now you're ready to enter into the worship service with others. But I want to just say something. This is not only true for public worship. This is true for any worship. You need to make sure that you're clean before God, that you've confessed your sin before Him, before you can worship Him in private. Because what I want to convey to you is that public worship is just an extension of your private worship. You don't become a worshiper when you step into this room. What you do is you just carry your worship into the room and join others who are worshiping the Lord. That's the biblical perspective. So the first truth to guide us in our corporate worship is this. A church worship service consists of prepared hearts. Worship is not about where you are or what you do, but who you are. It's not about the clothes you wear or the words you say. God requires true worshipers for there to be true worship. We must come to Him with clean hands and a pure heart. If we could just get that into our heads, it would change the way we worship. Let me say thanks to you for listening with us today. We are excited to be able to bring you these broadcasts. In order to do that, we need your help. If you are able to partner with us financially, please give us a call at 727-239-0306 or go to our website, versebyverseradio.org. While you are at our website, check out all the resources that are available there. Let's not take worship for granted. We need to prepare our hearts every day and be right with God in order to be true worshipers. For Pastor Steve, this is Jerry Pruden. We look forward to being with you next time on Verse by Verse. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.